We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning. Happy New Year. Well, we're going back today. And again, we'll have James in the book of James. James chapter 1. Just flipping through the pages here. And this book doesn't really take much space. Take up much space in my Bible here. But don't be deceived by that and think, well, it must not have much to say because it does have plenty to say. James, when he was writing to his original audience, understood something about them, who they were. He knew something about the milieu in which they were living, their circumstances of life, the conditions that they had. And in light of that, and with that knowledge, he has something to say to them. And they, the ones who were wise, paid attention to what he had to say. But what he had to say is recorded here in this little book, this little epistle. And what that means then is that what he had to say was important for his first audience, but it is also important for this audience, for me and for you. And so just as the wise ones among his original audience paid attention and made the effort to glean and to use properly what he had to say, then it's incumbent upon us to do the same, to look and consider, seriously consider what is it that this epistle is saying to us. So we talk about James, and we see his name as the first word in the book here. And generally, when we start out looking at these books, we talk about the author. We know in our group, that what we mean by that is human author, but the ultimate author is God. So that the message, the information, the wisdom that is conveyed through this book is really what God wants us to pay attention to. Not that there was a man a long time ago who thought this might be important but that the God of heaven, who still rules and reigns, that he thought and does think is important for us to give consideration to what he wants us to understand. And so that's why we're here. That's why we look at this. That's why we keep reading over and over again and keep considering what is here. It seems that each time I 
go through this book and think about it, I think about different things that kind of come together, which for me are very interesting in terms of what is here. What I'm going to do is briefly go through the first portions of the book, and then I'll have more comments on some of the latter verses that come along. But I'd like to just again note how James identified himself as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that that connective means that not two on a different level, not two in a hierarchy, but two who are co-equal, the God-man. That's the one to whom he is a bond servant. And I've talked about this as being a good thing, not a bad thing. It's a positive relationship, not a negative one. And that's the way he identifies here. He also talks about the audience, his original audience being those who were of the 12 tribes. And he used the word scattered here, scattered abroad. We talked about that word having a connection to the idea of a scattering, like it's in a scattering of seed. We know that the Babylonian captivity led to the scattering way back in ancient history. And the Jews dispersed all over because of that. They were driven, taken out of the promised land because they didn't follow the Lord's command or his commands to them. They didn't do what he said to do. And so he said he did what he said he would do. If they didn't do what he said to do, and he did. But there were other persecutions that came also that led to scattering. Remember the we talked about Stephen and the persecutions that were going on and and how that the Apostle Paul, who came one, became one of the most prominent apologists for the gospel that you can imagine. But he was a man whose mission was to round up and to destroy Christians. A man whose mission was to destroy the church, to destroy God's work. But that didn't remain his mission. He had a change in mission. But that was after God changed his heart and he became a new man. A new man with a new mission. That's who the apostle Paul became. And that's a good thing because we can say to people, God is able to save you. God is able to redeem you. God is able. So then James uses the word brethren. He uses that word repeatedly. Brethren here is a word which had a double meaning essentially for them because his primary audience were, were Jewish background people. So they had a, a natural connection through the bloodline, brother, brethren. But also they were brothers in the Lord, as we say, uh, brothers in the Lord. They had been begotten of him. And so that made them double brothers. <laughs> 
brothers in the flesh and brothers in the Lord, as in verse 18 in chapter 1, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, by his own will. God willed it to be so, by the word of truth. And we're reading from a portion of that now. But it's by God and God's word, his activity, that he brought this to be, that we might be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. So that's the first part in here. Now, we see as we move along here, there's that word patience. Patience, and we talk about patience as being a virtue. We've all heard about somebody praying and asking the Lord to allow them to have patience. And so the Lord sent all kinds of problems to them. And he said, Lord, what is this? what's going on here? I thought I asked for patience. And the answer is, well, how else are you going to get it? This is the path to it. And so you want patience. So what it says here, there will be testing in verse number two. There are going to be trials that come about. These are not things that are being told to us that are going to happen to you because you're a bad person. It doesn't say that but that trials are going to come. Testings are going to come. They're a portion of life. They're part of life. They're coming. The issue is what to do. Fret, complain, whine, blame God. Well, those are the choices that a lot of people make. Hopefully, the believers are not making those choices. But the people around us, they make those choices. But James is saying to his audience, don't choose that way. He said, let patience have its perfect work so that you may be complete, so that you may become mature, so that you may lack in not anything that you need. And so he said, do that. Let it have its work. So that means then that they have to have an attitude to say, you know, I'm going to look up to God and, and count upon him and trust him to work in me what he wants to accomplish. Let patience have his perfect work. If you lack wisdom, it says here, wisdom, or we might think in terms of the thing about which you know right now you need some wisdom. Ask God for it. And then ask him to give you wisdom to understand the things that you need wisdom about that you don't understand. You need it. So we ask God for wisdom. This says here that he gives, that God will give, with liberally, without reproach, that it will be given. If the Bible says that God will do a thing, then we don't have to be worried about, well, is God going to do it? If he said he will, he is going to. And so we can settle, be settled about that. But the next part after that, though, says, well, asking is more than just voicing words. In verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and, and without reproach, and it will be given him, but let him ask in faith, not doubting, 
And then it says, what is this matter of doubting? To illustrate the seriousness of what that means, he uses this illustration of a wave on the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Then it says, that kind of man, don't let him suppose that he should receive anything of the Lord. And so we should be praying, Lord, help me to be one who is trusting and not doubting. Help me to be one who is not double-minded so that I will be able to enjoy the blessing of the answer to the prayers for wisdom. And then the next section here talks about the lowly and the rich brethren among them. As we see some of these things here that are mentioned in the epistle, we get to understand something about some of the difficulties and the problems and challenges that were their lot. And that's why he's addressing these things, because those were things that were out of the environment, and they knew what was going on, and he knew. And he was exhorting them as to how to handle these things. Then in verse number 9, it says, Let the brother, lowly brother glory in his exaltation. So the lowly brother, and what he's speaking about is that temporally, those among whom we live have different levels of the material things, the things, as we say, of this world, whether good things, but different levels. Not everybody has the same. And God nowhere says that everybody should have the same. Equal distribution is not to be found in terms of those kinds of things. And so there were some who didn't have much. But if they had new birth in Christ, they had reason to rejoice because they could glory. You see, no matter what it is a person possesses or owns here during that earthly sojourn, it's just temporary. It's just for a little while. It's not going to last for them. And the people who spend all their lives trying to see how much they can accumulate under their name of ownership, in just a few years, if that many, it will have no value to them at all. They will have spent their life for something that has no value to them after a short little time. Now, that's not a very wise way to spend a life, but many people do. Why do they do that? Because they lack faith in God. They, don't, they fail to understand that here, we're temporary here, but after here, we're going to be permanently, forever, where we're going to be. With God or separated from him. We can't express the horror of being separated from him forever. The word, the Bible uses certain terms and expressions that causes us to tremble at the thought that any human being, even our worst, that we might think of as our worst enemies, the thought that they could have such a lot. But God has said it. 
So the brother who is lowly but is rich in faith, he's in a good place. But what about the rich? He says in his humiliation. So the idea is that they're rich. Too many times they glory in their riches. That's not good. They should understand that before God, they are the same as everybody else. Because it says here, it points out the temporariness of the situation of richness, riches. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. I'm sure you've all seen beautiful fields of flowers and said, oh, the awesome beauty is blessing me so much. And it does, and sometimes we take pictures and we get blessed by it again, looking at the pictures. And then we go back a few months later. The beauty is gone. And he said to the rich, it's going to be like that for you. So why let that be your life? Why be consumed with that, if you understand this? No sooner has a sun risen with the burning heat, it withers the grass, the flower falls, the beautiful appearance perishes. And then it says the rich man is going to fade away in his pursuits. We've read about the rich and famous and some of these people who have been very prominent in the world and the things that they've been involved in. And all of a sudden we hear that this one dropped dead and that one dropped dead and that one dropped dead and the other one dropped dead. And we're thinking, wow, all these people with all that prominence in their pursuing the things and some of them at the height of their, what, of their glory. <laughs> and then soon they're gone. Wow. So James is saying that's not where the first rider ought to be. And then he goes on to a section talking about temptation. We've gone over all these things before. I'm not saying anything new. I'm just repeating. I'm repeating because it's good for me, but hopefully it's good for you as well. So, blessed is a man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, when he's been tested and approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. To those who love him. Now, that's an interesting point. Who are those? Those will be people included in that group that James talks about, where he says brethren. Those are the kinds of people who love him. The ones who are not brethren, they're not in that group. And so they can't be expected to be a part here. But uh, those who love him. So let no one say when he is tempted that he is tempted by God. And so we talked about this idea of temptings or testings or all these things that come to trials that when he says when in the early verse here these things come, then those are testings, but then there are other things that come. But it says here in verse 13, when you are tempted and tempted to do the evil things, don't say I'm tempted by God. <laughs> don't do that. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So he's not, God does not tempt a person to do 
the evil, but he will test you. He will bring testings, or we might even use the same word, tempt, but it's tempting as a test to prove, attempting to show that you are the real deal and not a fake or a printed, but to show what you really are. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away of his own desires and enticed. And I think I left off last time with this note. I connected that verse there with verse 18. And I said I wanted to bring a contrast between those two two expressions here. In verse 14, it talks about being drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now, these are desires that are evil desires. And then, left alone in that state of desire, then it talks about enticement. And then it talks about the birthing of sin, sin being birthed. And then it talks about it becoming full grown. And then it talks about death. Wow, what a path. From his own, our own desires leading down that path. And I contrasted that. In verse 18, it says, speaking of God, of his own will. So what happened as a result of the own desires that are spoken about in verse 14? We see it taking its progression, leading to death. But when it speaks about God and his will, what does it do? It brings forth new life, new birth. Wow, what a contrast. So, where should our focus be? Our desires or God's desires? Our will or God's will? The answer, you know right well. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Notice what it says next. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Produce the righteousness of God. So how is that going to come about then? If the wrath of man is not going to produce the righteousness of God, then how's it going to come about? Is there an alternative? I'm just trying to bring an emphasis because wrath seems to be the choice of people who are out of line with God. They're quick to wrath. But he said quick to hear So then, the righteousness of God. I made a few notes. 
the righteousness of God. And I was thinking about James and what he's teaching and the practical aspects of what he's saying. And I thought about the righteousness of God and I thought, well, so what is James doing? In some ways, he's providing a roadmap. He's provided a set of rules to go by in order to have this righteousness develop and flow. A set of rules. I've been doing a lot of driving. And I, one of the things that I thought about when I thought about this, talk about producing righteousness of God, and I'm going to connect this too down to a lot of verse here. But the idea that you have a destination you want to get to. And you have a license to drive. You're out there on the highway. There are certain rules to go by if you want to arrive safely at your destination. What's your destination? Well, my most recent destination was Michigan. <laughs> I wanted to get back home. But you know, if I had just gotten out there when I was heading north and I have, if I had just jumped into the, to the southbound lane and just fired it on up set that cruise to 70 miles an hour going on the southbound lane but I'm going north what do you think would have happened? I wouldn't be standing here I wouldn't have followed the rules to get to where I wanted to be so the righteousness of God what are you going to do? I think James Rowe, if we listen to what he's saying, he's telling us what we need to be doing, paying attention to. We'll see if that works out. But, but in the meantime, let's just read along here. So then he says, since this wrath of man is not going to produce the righteousness of God, then lay aside all the filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the word, which is able to save your souls. So an idea of meekness. So he's saying there is something to be laid aside. And that's all this stuff. Overflow of wickedness. And all this. And if you don't know what that is, then go back over to verse number five and ask for the wisdom of God to know. Right? That's what we need to understand. So it's the word, the implanted word of God. So what he's saying is, in this word of God is where you go to find out what you need to know. Go there. He's telling us that. Go there. What we need. And then he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Now, we talked about deceiving before in verse 16, where it says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And now he's saying, doers and not just hearers deceiving yourselves, self-deceit. And we talked about that connection between those, and Pastor highlighted that connection of not being deceived, either about where these evil things are, influences and desires are coming from, and 
about where the blessings are coming from, ultimately, from God. If one is a hero, so he illustrates, James illustrates what it means here, just to emphasize the point. He says, if anyone is a hero of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, he goes away, he immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, why would that be? You know, if somebody was able to look in the mirror of their soul, then I could understand they want to turn away and not look anymore. Because what they see would not be a pretty picture. But God sees that. And so he says, a man's like that. He's who is a forgetful hero. Forgetful, forgetful, forgetful hero. So I want us to notice four, uh, four things here. In verse 25, it says, but, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. First word is looks in. We're talking about our Bibles, to look in. This is the beginning of a new year, the first day. Many times people make resolutions about making a plan to look in to the scriptures throughout the year. Not just looking in, but you know what we're saying. A conscious, concerted effort to read the scriptures, to look in there. That's good. Because we won't get what's in there if we don't look in. We're not going to learn what's here if we don't look in it. So we've got to do that. The next thing here is, is the word continues and continues in it. And so now here we are on the first day of the year. We look in. That's good. What about tomorrow? And the days all the way to the first year, day of next year. Will we continue the whole year looking in? We should. This is a present tense. Keep looking in. So that's number two. Number three is to not be a forgetful hearer. And one of the ways to not be forgetful it's just simply continuing to look in, right? That's how we get to keep things in our memory because we review them and go over them over and over and over again. And the things that are most important are most worthy of continual, constant repetition, going over it again and again. You know, we had to do that to pass our exams in school. Now, there may be a few people who could read the material once and they had it. I heard somebody say that in their medical school class, somebody reported this, that there were some students who could just read the stuff one time and they had it. But this particular person said they had to really work at it to get it. <laughs> well, I'm that kind of guy. <laughs> Keep continually working at it and then I get some of it. I get some of it because I keep working at it. But then, that's not all that's said here. So you're looking in, you're continuing, 
You're not forgetting. But then what? Do. <laughs> right? So you got to have all of that. You got to have the whole package. We got to look in. We got to continue. We have to not forget. And then we have to do. Do according to what is here. And not deceive ourselves. Now here's another part in verse 26 where it talks about do not be deceived. I'm linking that this portion right to that same thought. Do not be deceived. If anyone among you thinks he is religious or is deceived and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, his religion is useless. Useless, his religion. The, the religion that he says he has, that is his, he sent here, he said, but it didn't do. His tongue gave him away. He has deceived himself. I wanted to say something more there. I have said to myself, if you look at a person who is deceived and you know they're deceived, what do you do? Say, oh, you are deceived. If you do that, what do they do? No, I'm not. You deceive. I'm not deceived. You deceive. <laughs> right? I mean, that would be the response almost every time. People just are not going to take that from you like that. But that doesn't mean there's not anything you can do. But among us, so how is it that we can find out if we are deceived? And for me, the way I think about this, it goes in a broad sense to even include sometimes things that are secular environments that deceive us. They say, how can I know if I am deceived and if the message coming at me is a message that if I embrace it, deceives me? How can I know about that? You know the answer to that? I'll tell you what the answer is. I just told you. I just told you what the answer is to it. Looking into the word of the Lord, continuing in the word of the Lord, not forgetting the word of the Lord, doing the word of the Lord. How else have we got to know? So if we want to be careful about this whole idea of being deceived, we need to keep our focus on the word of God to look in here and say, God, what is it that you want me to understand? What is it that you want me to think? So we get a lot of contemporary issues. And sometimes we don't know how to think about those. People present slick sounding or very well-organized sounding arguments. And sometimes some of those sound pretty good. And we adopt some of those. And then sometimes we look into the scripture and say, That's, that, that doesn't fit with scripture. Right? God says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone. Not these over here are greater sinners than these over here. And the problems of these over here 
uh, it because of these over here and all of this. We get a lot of that kind of stuff. But the whole idea of everybody being a sinner, that's the place where you get equality. <laughs> Born in a condition of sin. And so we can listen to the clever sinners who are spouting theories and doctrine that is contrary to God, contrary to sound Bible doctrine. And if we are not recognizing that what they actually are saying is contradicting what God has clearly said, they will say, oh, that sounds good. I'm going for it. That person is an expert after all. They have a PhD from this university. It's acclaimed in the world. And so we got to trust them. But God says, trust him. And this is what James is doing. He's saying, this life of Christian is not just a say thing or hearing, but there's something real about it. And be about that. Now, I'm going to read the last verse here and stop. So he says here, pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So he's saying that there is something that is proper to do. Do that. And avoid being spotted by the world. That's an order for us for the year, New Year. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege you have given to us to open a new year. We have the word of God here before us, and we are asking you to work in us through it to your glory. We ask in the name of Christ our Savior, thanks. Amen. So thank you very much. I appreciate your kind attention. Thank you.